0: Welcome to the Evolution 2.0 Podcast, where we explore the intersection of art, technology, business, biology, and spirituality. Here you'll discover new trends in evolution that are changing the way we think about everything. This is your host, Perry Marshall, author of evolution 2 8020 sales and marketing, and guides to Ethernet, Google, and Facebook. I'm founder of the Evolution 2.0 Prize, a quest for the missing link between Earth science, the information age, and life itself. Let's join the conversation now. So, hello, this is Perry Marshall, and I am talking today with Michael Rice, and he is a professor of science education at University College London at their Institute of Education, and he's also a priest in the Church of England, and he caught my attention because he wrote an article in The Conversation.com. and the title was Evolution as a Religious Professor of Science Education, We Need to Rethink How We Teach It, And um, now he's from Great Britain. And um, of course, people in the United States very well know that this is a contentious issue. But as he says in his article, it's also a contentious issue in the UK. It's not just um, those crazy Americans that seem to have trouble with this. And I really um, thought it was a a thoughtful um, approach to the problem. And so I said, well, let's have a conversation. I think I should get this guy on the Evolution 2.0 podcast and and let's discuss it. So, Michael, welcome.
1: Harry, can I say, really good finally to actually meet you properly rather than just reading things you've written or hearing about you.
0: And, and I just thought, well, why don't you take me back to your... Um, formative conversations or events or experiences where you suddenly realized that, Hey, wait a minute. Um, How we handle this kind of conversation is actually worth some of my professional time and attention and me risking my street cred and bending people's ear who may not want to listen. How did, how did you come to this? What happened there? There, there, there's gotta be a story of, of what, prompted this to be important in your life.
1: There is. That's quite fair. So if I go back about 20 years ago, this was not part of my professional life. So from a personal point of view, completely conventional religious faith, which I've had for about 40 years, and I've now been ordained, as you say, as a minister in the Church of England, so the Protestant tradition, but pretty mainstream for about 30 years. So religion is a very important part of my life. Enjoy talking about it, feel comfortable of talking about it, but it virtually never came up in a school or education setting. The most that I would have when I taught in high schools, which I only did for five years quite a while ago in the 80s, late 80s, was occasionally at the end of the lesson about evolution, a student would come up to me on a one-to-one basis and just say something usually rather gentle, like, you know, that was interesting, thanks ever so much, but, but I'm not able to accept that argument. And we'd have a brief, very comfortable conversation, and I would appreciate that this would be because of either her own, or his own, or their family's religious positions. But that was it, occasional. Now, what, interestingly enough, has happened the last 15 years in the United Kingdom and quite a lot of other European countries is those of us who work in science education have realized we had probably underestimated the number of students for whom this was an important issue. The reason it became more obvious that it was an important issue was twofold. One of which is the last 20 years or so in Europe, we now have more and more Muslim students in schools. And Muslim students are much more likely up front to say to their science teachers, I can't accept that. The other reason is different from what you have in the USA. As I suspect you know, we've had for probably 150 years, sadly, a gradual diminution of the importance of religion in the public sphere. And one of the interesting consequences of that has been that the increasingly small proportion of people for whom religion is really important it's difficult to quantify but we're probably in the uk talking only sort of 10 percent you know compared to probably the majority of people in the usa but many of them are more vocal now than they were particularly evangelicals for example Mm. Mm. so a number of reasons although religion in the public sphere has gradually become a bit less important, this issue has become more significant. And the last thing I'll say in response to your question is that I probably really realized this about 10 years ago when we had the anniversary celebrations around the 150th anniversary of the publication of Darwin's On the Origin of Species by natural selection in 1859. And of course, because I'm a science educator, my PhD is in evolutionary biology, mm. and I have a postdoc in the area as well. And I, I as I said, I, I, by then, you know, ten years ago, I've been ordained for twenty years. So I'm now in a position where I could spend my life writing about this issue.
0: Wow. Okay. So, so when when the Charles Darwin anniversary came. Um, Tell me about a conversation or two that suddenly, like, there, there, there had to be a switch that flipped somewhere yep. um, for you.
1: So I gave, as almost everybody did who had a background in evolutionary biology or knew something about Darwin or was in science communication, science education, I gave a lot of talks about Darwin, probably about four during the year. And what I'd find is that when I was talking with academic scientists, nobody, of course, would ask about religion. But as soon as you gave a talk to school students, mother's unions, men's breakfasts, didn't have to be in a church setting, but a public setting, people would genuinely with interest say, well, you know, did Darwin contradict religion? Can the two coexist? Are they in conflict? The familiar questions yeah i quite I quite enjoy those sort of questions uh and I began to realize then just how many people still have them
0: hmm. well so in in your article, you talk about how um, well there's some science teachers who they just try to make it as minimal of an issue as possible and maybe even avoid discussing it if they can. And then there's others that ram it down the throats of the students. And you say, well, you know, we have categories in education for sensitive topics. And this this belongs on that list. Uh, so that's an interesting, so get, elaborate, how, how do you treat these other topics? And
1: I'd love to. Let me just clarify, first of all, there are two ways in which traditionally, in many schools in the world, including the USA, that evolution education has been treated in schools. First of all, this is assuming it gets on the curriculum, because, of course, you don't need me to tell you that in many countries around the world, quite a lot of science teachers are not comfortable with the theory of evolution themselves, so they avoid it. Or, indeed, their school district may avoid it, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But in England, that's rare. In England, it's on pretty well any biology syllabus, certainly for sort of 11 to 16 year olds, and then the age range above. So as you say, we get one group of often secular biology teachers or a, a fairly minimal religious involvement who just teach it a straight biology and, and just think it's a little bit odd if a student asks a question about the relationship between science and religion or, or might perfectly amicably say to them well we don't deal with that here, you can try asking your religious education teacher because of course in England between the ages of 5 to 16 religious education is one of our compulsory subjects mm. on the curriculum just like English and maths and history. Um, so that's one group of stu- uh, one response. Another response is to say, oh, it's a controversial topic. Uh, like climate change might be often considered a controversial topic. We're, we're getting probably a bit more agreement nowadays about the causes, but it's not as clear-cut as a lot of science. It's not as clear-cut as the periodic table or Newton's laws. Now, a lot of science teachers don't like saying that evolution is a controversial topic, precisely as you will know, Perry, because they feel that's giving oxygen to creationists or intelligent designers, and most science education teachers in England don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So my argument, and I only thought of this a little over a year ago, is that actually... We're not doing a terribly good job of teaching this subject in England, and I suspect a lot of other places as well, because we're not allowing a genuine discussion about it. in school. <laughs> but, And I mean genuine, and by the way, it's easier to have a genuine discussion in the United Kingdom than it is in some parts of the um, United States, I realise that, and it's, it's difficult in some other countries as well. And so I came upon this idea that maybe a good response would be, as you summarized it, just to think of it as a sensitive issue. Now, you and I, and everybody listening to this, is probably a reasonably sensitive person. We, We know that if our children or our partners or colleagues at work are really upset about something, even if we don't understand why they're upset, most of us are pretty good about dealing respectfully, compassionately, carefully with such people. Teachers are nearly always very good because teachers meet a lot of people. You usually don't become a teacher if you're you know, a sociopath or something like that. Or if you are, this is my attempt at humour, you get promoted very, very quickly and you get out of the classroom. So most classroom teachers are actually quite good when it doesn't matter whether we're talking about 10 year olds or 16 year olds. But if they're angry, if they're hurt, if they're upset, if they're bewildered, teachers are quite good. And the other good thing is you don't need to be an academic expert on the subject to deal sensitively with it. You know, if you start telling me, for example, that you've got relatives who work in that wonderful—well, let's give a let's give a sad current example in the Bahamas with the home. yeah, yeah. Now, I may not know much about the Bahamas, I don't, but boy, I know there's been destruction and loss of life. And if you tell me your sister or somebody you haven't been able to hear from over two and a half days. of people are good at being caring. So it just occurred to me that actually a little bit more sensitivity in the school classroom might both be respectful of students, but it might actually allow more genuine conversations about, well, how good is our understanding of the theory of evolution? Is it perfect? Which I think both you and I would probably say, no, it's not perfect because virtually no science is perfect. Science changes. And yeah. that's one of the interesting things. So I think it could open up good quality conversations, which would be good for the students and good for them learning biology.
0: So I was, um, I was out the other day. Uh, I was actually riding my bike and that's a great place to just think and you know have random ideas come and, and it occurred to me while I was out that um, in, in in the in the scope of human civilization, it's been a lot more important to teach people why we're different than animals than why we're like them. Yep. <laughs> I mean that's exactly what human civilization is all about, right? And yep. And I think, I think what what theory of evolution does is it it kind of has this implication. Well, you know, we're we're just like we're we're just animals like all the rest of them, and and all of life is this big giant vicious competition. That's that's certainly how some people paint the picture, and um, it's even at just that level, even before we pull religious beliefs into it and all the rest. It, it it seems pretty obvious that that would that would make people that would raise some uncomfortable issues. Yeah. you can hardly blame people for being a little uneasy. Yeah, um, and um, I I thought it was interesting what you said that that when students would come to you and say, "Well, I disagree with you," they were all, almost always very. Uh, polite, yes. the way that they expressed that. yep. Now, um, y- I don't think you'd be rating these articles if you didn't feel like there are some people that are not being polite, Yep. that there's usually some small percentage of people that are ruining it for everybody. So uh, how would you characterize that part of it?
1: So... My focus, I will answer the question, but my focus primarily is on good quality education in high schools, that Mm. sort of age range. Possibly sometimes a bit younger, it varies from country to country. So I don't mind if a 16 year old gets angry with me or oversimplifies because I'm an educator, my job is to help him or her get a better understanding. And you get this in history teaching all the time. People have very firm views about things as teenagers, and they're often only partial views. And that's fine. Good teachers build on that. Now, my own view, shifting out of the classroom into public discourse, is that um, there can be quite a lot of unhelpful comments made both by very, very assertive atheists and by very, very assertive religious fundamentalists. Either side can be condescending of the other. And I think the world we live in, at the moment, my country, as much as your country, you were nice enough to modestly say at the beginning how At one point, people in the UK occasionally think, oh, the United States is a bit crazy. We're getting less judgmental because we're following in your footsteps politically very fast. So,
0: Uh, I'm sorry to hear that,
1: but oh, yeah, 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 we're catching up. Well, what we want in society, and this is, I hope I can say this, but I'm being honest what we want in society is where some people don't instinctively reach either for a gun or start trying to kick their opponents in the head but they argue with them if if they want to they walk away from the argument and say I'm not going to have anything more to do with you but we keep it at that level if possible and good education in schools can play a small part in trying to help people learn how to live in the same country as people with whom they passionately disagree.
0: What would be a good example that you've seen of classroom being a place where people learn to have a civil dialogue and where this is a constructive um, experience in their life rather than just another um, battening down the hatches and, and yep. putting up walls?
1: So. You quite often get good examples in humanities classrooms, for example, history, where people, a good teacher, will, even if it's a deeply historically contentious subject like slavery or the Holocaust, they will try and get students not just to think that everybody could easily be categorized as, on the one hand, irredeemably evil, on the other hand, saints, angels, martyrs. Now, there are some people in both camps, but the great majority of us are somewhere in between. And actually, I'm not going to go into a long discussion about teaching the Holocaust, but of course, there were a lot of people in Germany who get caught up in things that subsequently they felt very embarrassed about, or they just kept rather quiet and hoped it would go away. They did what a lot of us might have done. And good history teaching can realize, look, they were faults on the side of the Allies and there was some good in the opponents. Now, in a small way in science where it's actually easier, what I would want is teaching that both help people to live together, but actually gives them a better understanding of how science knowledge develops. Because as you and I know, science knowledge, it's not like bits of mathematics where you prove it definitely it's right or it's wrong. It's a gradual accretion of thinking, usually by large numbers of people over long periods of time, and sometimes it goes forward, and sometimes the knowledge goes backward. And I'm not going to stand here and do a major plug for your book, but one of the interesting things I thought your book was good on is how even some very good academic biologists have found it difficult to accept more recent advances in Evolution biology because the story is not quite as pure, as simple as it was 40 years ago.
0: (laughs) Amen. Absolutely. It's a very complex picture. Yeah. Now, of course, I think that makes
1: it intellectually more interesting. Yeah. But one of the skills in school, of course, is you tend to have to start fairly simple. And the real skill is not to give students the impression, that's all there is, you know, Second World War, continental allies, plus the US, Australia, one or two other countries, we came first, Germans came second, full stop, a bit more complicated than that. And in the same <laughs> way, if we could be talking about physiology, it doesn't have to be evolution, ecology, we could be talking about almost any area of biology, there's a basic stuff you teach 11, 12, 13 year olds, and then if they carry on there seventeen, 17, 18, 19, you teach them more. And if they do it, obviously, in college or university, you teach more.
0: Well, um, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, so give me a prediction of uh, where do you think this probably will be in 25 years and where do you think this could be in 25 years? Well... The bit
1: of me that likes joking is, I think we'll still have Trump in the White House. <laughs>
0: um, and we could still be arguing about Brexit, perhaps, as well. well that's that's not even a joke. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> good. Um,
1: so 25 years is difficult. Um, I'll try and be serious and try and think carefully of the answer. I think in some European countries, like some of the Scandinavian countries, and possibly the Netherlands, the arguments will die down because the percentage of people who have a strong religious faith is really getting pretty low. Mm. So 90 plus percent of people are just not gonna be interested in these debates. Mm. Now that won't be true in the Southern European countries, it won't be true in Germany and the United States because of particular mixtures of immigrants we've had and historical reasons, and it certainly won't be true in the US, and it won't be true in more or less the rest of the world. You know, the Scandinavian countries are unusual. Um, so what I would hope, which is not quite what you asked, <laughs> what I hope is we've got high school science teachers who feel just as comfortable managing discussions in this area where there's a divided group of opinions among their students as they feel comfortable hopefully running a debate about whether we should have IVF or not, or whether organ transplantation should be increased by making it compulsory if you die to leave your organs for medicine. Those sort of things, which in my experience, a lot of good biology teachers can handle quite well already.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, I, about four or five years ago, I gave an evolution presentation to a bunch of homeschoolers, All right. conservative, right-wing, Christian, evangelical, um, and it's on YouTube. Um, you can find it on my YouTube channel. And um, when when I when I talk about evolution, I emphasize how incredibly purposeful and how much ingenuity there is in something as simple as a bacterium developing resistance to antibiotics. It is the most incredible engineering you've ever seen in your life. It's far beyond anything Microsoft is doing. And, and when I, so, so before, before I started or before the meeting happened, Um, the organizer got this flurry of phone calls and emails from these parents wringing their hands, like, what is Perry going to teach my kids? And so the day came and I don't know, probably 10 kids and 10 adults came and they sat and they listened to it. And when it was done, nobody, nobody wanted to argue with me the kids all went out and like played in the backyard and all the adults sat in a circle and peppered me with questions for two hours. And they were, they were curious questions. It wasn't, it wasn't, Hey, wait a minute. You didn't explain Noah's Ark. It wasn't that it was like, Oh my goodness. Like I never, it, it took them to places they had never imagined. So they didn't, they didn't, realize the, uh, I, so I remember one of the parts of the conversation was I was talking about epigenetics and we got into this whole discussion about, you know, it could be that if you have a drinking problem, you literally epigenetically pass your drinking problem along to your kids and that your diet and your exercise and your lifestyles and maybe even your anger and your habits. Um, and, um, they were completely fascinated with this and eventually they were like, Oh my goodness, it's like 10 o'clock. I like, I, I got to go to work tomorrow. Yep. Uh, um, and that was the kind of conversation we had. It, it didn't have any of these, yep. you know, Oh, you know, yep. um, and, and I, I know from that experience that it is possible for these conversations to be very energizing, very provocative Um, but they have to be taken off of the rails that they're usually put on.
1: That's a lovely metaphor. Now, what you've been talking about is going beyond what I was saying about sensitive, because I was saying one of the things about my argument, which is a very simple argument, is that it doesn't require quite the level of knowledge that you have got about the topic. Obviously, as a biology educator, I would rather we had biology teachers in schools who had a wonderful knowledge about evolution partly because then if they come from if they got students who come from a background and say to things like well doesn't the second law of thermodynamics disprove evolution but gently they could say well i'm not sure about that you know what does the second law say what sort of systems does it apply for can anybody in the you know you know this well but it can be done respectfully but you're also teaching them some real science And I think the last thing I'd say, of course, is as somebody who has got a completely conventional Christian faith, we're not going to find anything in God's world that actually is going to contradict Scripture. (laughs) Now, you and I, and historically people, may occasionally misinterpret the natural world. We may misinterpret Scripture. But fundamentally, the better we understand each of them, I think there's going to be a really, really good education there for everybody, and there's going to be a fundamental coherence.
0: Well, I think think a lot of Christians have sort of taken the bait of people who suggest that theology and science are in some kind of a war with each other. They've bought into the conflict thesis, and it's like, well— I, I can understand why an atheist would buy into the conflict thesis, but that doesn't mean you should right? that. So I, I think we both very much agree on this. well. Um, this has been a great conversation. And could you just um, tell people um, if, if they want to read more of your writing or get more of your views on this subject, uh, where are some places they can go look?
1: Whoa. Um, well, the simplest thing, to be honest, would be to enter my name, Michael Rice, which is R-E-I-S-S, into any well-known search engine. And there are loads of papers, in particular, on two sites, one of which is called Researchgate. Yeah. The good thing about that site and the other site, Academia, is they're all free to download. And there's huge numbers on both those sites. But I've enjoyed the conversation as well. Thank you, Perry.
0: Well, Michael, pleasure to have you. Nice to meet you. Take so, care. Thank you. Again, All the
1: best. Cheers.
0: Until next time, this is the Evolution 2.0 podcast, bridging science, technology, business, and the big questions. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes or on your preferred player. If you like the show, rate us on iTunes. Join our email list and social media at cosmicfingerprints.com.